0: Today on the show, get a load of this wedding reception. St. Albert brings the cross and crosses the streams. Looking back on Pope John Paul II's letter to families, our picks of the week, and so much more. The Catholic Underground starts now. What happens when I don't check my own spelling? It is time for the Catholic Underground. We are the podcast that tries to cut through the noise and uh, find the topics that matter for you to bring them to you so that you can do with them what you will. It's episode number 410. I'm Father Chris Decker. Joining me this week, Kathleen Lee, the executive director of the Women's New Life Clinic in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Hey, Kathleen. Hey. Uh, By the way, she's back.
1: I'm back. That's right. Yeah. (laughs) For those of you,
0: for those of you who are maybe intermittently watching the show, she never left. I didn't. No. Also, Olivia Galino, (laughs) she's the student of life, our resident Italian food critic. Hey, Olivia. Hello. Also, if we go up to the satellite of hope, the Jeff Star One, we will find Jeff Blackwell always sitting behind the controls, doing what he always does. Hey, Jeff. I'll be right back. That's right. Hey, father. (laughs)
2: <laughs> no, we're doing good.
0: That had a microphone malfunction here on earth, but it's okay. We're good. Uh, and then also, if you're watching us on the video feed on Facebook and all around, we got uh, we got Ed running all those uh, graphics and stuff. So mm-hmm. it looks good. Great. Sounds good. It's Jeff. All right. Okay. Now, this is probably one of the coolest things that I've seen in quite a while. This is from mm-hmm. the Warm Your Heart Desk, comma, Ephesians 5 uh, tray.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah.
0: We monitor that 24 hours a day. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. so uh, a beautiful, beautiful thing. Catholic speaker, podcaster, and television personality, uh, Stacey Summerow, shared an experience uh, that she had at her, her wedding reception with her husband, and the post went viral, and we couldn't help but share it here. So instead of throwing a garter, right, mm-hmm. which is like something that happens at almost every wedding reception that mm-hmm. I've ever been to, yes. um, the her husband washed her feet. Hmm. Uh, yeah. So Somra uh, explained that the garter toss signifies eros. Mm-hmm. So, so we've got uh, the three kind of the three loves in Greek understanding, right? right. Philia, agape, and eros. Mm-hmm. Uh, eros would be, I wouldn't say necessarily. Well, it's it's they're all components of love, but it is uh, it is basically sexual attraction. Yeah. Um, and then uh, like the little public hint of the private intimacy that the newlyweds will enjoy. Yeah. And so she says, because it, it signifies eros, um, her husband chose something different. Her husband washed her feet because it signifies a different type of love, agape, mm-hmm. the sacrificial love of Jesus. Jesus washed his disciples' feet the night before he gave his life on the cross, and husbands vow to love their brides like Christ loves the church, which, by the way, look it up, guys, Ephesians chapter 5. Ah, uh, the leader of the family is to be a servant. So here's the whole, the whole full text of the post. We thought we'd we'd read it along here. Yeah. Uh, my husband washed my feet at our wedding reception instead of tossing a garter. The garter toss signifies eros, sexual attraction, and the hint of the intimacy that the newlyweds will enjoy. Physical attraction is a wonderful and beautiful part of the marriage. However, mm. I love that my groom chose to surprise me with something different, um, and and that's exactly what he did. He says the beautiful thing is you don't gotta worry one tiny bit about erotic love disappearing when you work for agape love, Mm. Uh, because that's exactly what happens. He says that, um, uh, she said that whether it's prioritizing my desire of where we go out to dinner or getting up with the babies early when I'm exhausted, John always lays down his life for me every day. Mm. Uh, So often our culture gets it backwards to test drive or to try before you buy, to cohabit. She says, but now that I'm living marriage day to day, I see that sustaining a relationship purely with Eros is like trying to live on cake. Mm. <laughs> the sweetness can disappear in an instant, but it's working together that lasts. She says, We didn't need to try before you buy to have both the depth of agape and the sweetness of eros together. I don't feel in love every second of every day, and anyone who expects that is going to be disappointed. But I trust my husband and I feel secure, and I tr- feel security in his love that allows for joy and laughter and a peaceful relationship. Um, she's also uh, on a podcast called Called and Caffeinated, mm-hmm. which sounds like a very good one to listen to. Um, says single friends, don't buy that what the culture is selling you. You deserve to be cherished, not just for a time, but forever. Let's all pray for the strength to love sacrificially.
3: Hmm. And you
0: know, she, she actually brings about something in, in my own mind that I don't know that I've put together. But the whole try before you buy culture is really not based upon agape, the, hmm. the sacrificial love. It's based upon eros mm-hmm. and um, and kind of a loose understanding of philia, which is the love that friends have for one another, um, but it, it can't be, that philia can't be completed mm-hmm. if it's eros that's leading it,
2: mm-hmm.
0: you know? And, and I, I find that very interesting. And so, what do you think of this as a kind of a new Catholic trend at yeah. uh, a wedding reception?
1: Yeah, I think it's really cool, you know, I, I, most weddings that I've been to have been religious based, mostly Catholic. Mm-hmm. Um, and and most other ones, you know, of other denominations, some kind of religious based ceremony. Yeah. And it's always a weird thing when you go and it's like, and Jesus, and it's all about this, you know, we love each other, you know, in the in the eyes of God and all this kind of stuff. And then you go to the reception and it's like, what Whee! what, are, what, yeah. are, what uh-huh. kind of music are we, yeah. p- what? That's right. Yeah. Like this is bizarre. I don't
0: think that, uh, that the maestro Limp Bizkit really, really right. captures yes. the agape of the moment. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: yeah. Yeah. So I just that,
0: picked one at random. I'm just yeah. saying. Yeah. So I, mean, I think it's really cool.
3: Yeah. That's what was in like the four of your, your serving w- room at the it moment? It wasn't in the
0: foyer. It was mm. in the back. In the foyer. Where everything lives in the in in storeroom. The foyer. Anyway. But yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. So so I think it's really kind of a beautiful thing that the wedding reception reflects in some way the right. liturgy that, that we've just experienced. So there's yeah. not a disconnect. Well, because there's a
1: celebration fun. of the liturgy and then there's the celebration afterwards. And it it's... It mm-hmm. can... it. It's. It doesn't make sense to celebrate in two different in two mm-hmm. different ways. That's right. Yeah, and, you know and I mean? think
0: that in a sense can also give a perhaps a bad representation of what we as Catholics mm-hmm. are about. Right. Because you know we, we do get a lot of um uh well bad press of like you Catholics you drink mm-hmm. at these yeah. events. Well, yeah, but there's more to it as well, and none of us. Catholic or not, are called to drink in excess. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, that's when it, when it becomes an overreach of, of enjoying one another's company. Philia, true philios, right? right. Mm-hmm. Desiring the friendship of those who are accompanying us into this new life that my spouse and I are sharing together. Uh, so, so to see this kind of connection doesn't mean you have to be a Puritan at a wedding reception mm-hmm. either. You should be having fun. Right. You should be laughing. I would dare say that a wedding reception is also time for a slightly irreverent things. You know? Yeah. Because because that's just who we are mm-hmm. as people. Revelry. Yeah, a bit of revel, right? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we are we are never supposed to be completely far away from the feasts of the church, mm-hmm. which which are never divorced from Christ ever.
3: Yeah. Right. Well, and I feel like. I, yeah, I always was kind of shocked by the garter toss, and it was always, like, my the most uncomfortable part of a wedding for me. That's usually when I, like, go to the bathroom, because I'm just like, I don't I need don't, this. Yeah. I, I need to be this. somewhere else. I don't yeah. need this in my life, and <laughs> you probably don't either. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, you know, something that I want to, you know, Highlight is that, you know, Eros is not a bad thing. No, right. 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 And in fact, you know, choosing to reserve something which is, you know, that, that passionate love, choosing to reserve that for a setting that's intimate is actually doing justice to what Eros is and what it's supposed to be, right? Eros is supposed to serve love, right? It's a type mm-hmm. of love. You mm-hmm. need it, right? Um, but it's not supposed to be, you know, like put on a pedestal, like for everyone to see, right? Right. Um, and so, like, I like that there's this. Kind of union, or, or this realization that, like, okay, well, all of the parts of love, all of the the aspects of love, have their moment, yeah. right? But what are we choosing to highlight about this particular moment where we're like coming together in a sacrament? That's right, right.
0: and and something too that's that's <laughs> public from the first moment to the yeah. to the last moment until we get into the car on, exactly. on our honeymoon, you yeah. know. And uh, I know behind Olivia in the on the screen for yeah. those of you who are watching on the radio, you actually see kind of a beautiful moment of eros, philia and Agape coming together as, uh, as as Summer is kissing the, the head of her mm-hmm. husband as he is uh, taking her shoe off mm-hmm. to, uh, to, to put it into the bowl to, to mm-hmm. wash her, her mm-hmm. feet. And and that's the, the beauty of it is is there can be uh, an extension, if you will, kind of a sneak preview of the Eros that my bride and I will share. But whenever it's publicly on display, it has to be ordered, as you say, yeah. Yeah. with the other two loves. Yeah. You might, you might need to, to do a little research with C.S. Lewis mm-hmm. uh, as mm-hmm. well. Uh, the Four Loves, the four is, loves is one yeah. of his great books, uh, kind of breaking over, mm-hmm. breaking out some of those sorts of things.
3: And even Benedict, too... Um of course, but no Benedict mm-hmm. too does a lot to like re like, to rescue. Yeah. yeah, sorry, Pope Benedict. We're mm-hmm. very close. The 60. Um, we mm-hmm. do. He does a lot to um, to rescue uh, eros, um, and kind of like put it in conversation again with agape. Mm-hmm. Um, like what is it? <clears throat> Deus caritas est. Um, yeah. It's his. Uh, you know, God is love. Um, I really recommend that one because he spends a lot of time, kind of. I don't know. I feel like he's like a surgeon, kind mm-hmm. of like stitching up the wound of, uh, of Eros um, yeah. because we just don't understand it anymore. Mm-hmm. And so he spends a lot of like the first part of that encyclical, um, which was the first encyclical that he wrote as Pope, um, just like doing that handiwork, um, mm-hmm. that very like neat and very precise handiwork of like rescuing what Eros is, but then putting it in conversation with, OK, who is God?
0: Right. Yeah. Right. Because philosophically, uh, Eros needs to be rehabilitated mm-hmm. in, a, right. in our world, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so this uh, this this wedding reception um, kind of paraliturgy, you know, uh, is a beautiful way I think to do that to to give um, to give all the people at the wedding reception an opportunity to say what is this? Yeah. Um, as I, I said at a at a funeral the other day, um, because I knew it was it was Catholics and non Catholics, and you know Catholics are weird. <laughs> we 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 do these things that people always ask questions about. And everybody says, they're just weird. Mm-hmm. But but they're never without an explanation. They're never without, without a uh, not just a reason, but a deep reason. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so how beautiful would it be to go to a wedding reception and see something like this? Yeah. Uh, I think that's a great idea. Yeah. Um, I th- yeah. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, the Seventh-day Adventists, um, the, the washing of the feet is a sacrament for them. Really? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it's a it's a it's a deep yeah. kind of um, beautiful entering into a moment where Christ is doing something important you know yeah. the, the mandatum as we say in Latin, the so must you do also yeah. And so it really kind of works for us as a sacramental something that yeah. points. Towards the Eucharistic sacrifice and points towards I got paid towards service, yeah. sacrificial service.
1: Yeah, I, you know I've had my feet washed before, and it's it is as someone who is like, you know, a doer of things. Yeah, you know if if you it was at a it was at a um a, a leadership retreat, mm-hmm. and it was one of the hardest things to have done for me. Yeah. Like, I wanted to go to the bathroom. <laughs> I That's wanted right. to, like, yeah. oh, I got to, you want me to, you, I can do everybody's. It's fine. Mm-hmm. But, like, to sit down and have it done to you is, is, it's true. Because it is so, it's so humbling.
0: And it's intimate, um, too. That's mm-hmm. the thing. Yeah. It, it is intimate.
1: Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's like, oh my God. Just gosh. like in yeah. Jesus' time, yeah.
0: the feet are not things that people enjoy presenting publicly, right, you yeah. know? Right. And uh, I know it's one of the most for me as a as a pastor. It's one of the most moving things that I do on mm. Holy Thursday, yeah. is to take up the mandatum of the Lord and to wash the feet of those who serve in yeah. my parish, uh, and and it is. It's an intimate moment. Uh, it, yeah. it always I, I cry like a baby the whole time. Mm. Yeah. I feel I feel like the woman washing. Jesus' feet with their tears because yeah. I'm sitting there crying as I'm washing their feet because yeah, to be wow. able to serve the servants of my parish yeah. is a, is a uh, well, it's a great honor. And yeah. so to see that alive yeah. in the fifth chapter of Ephesians in sacramental marriage mm-hmm. by way of this sacramental is beautiful, which, by the way, I should explain. A sacramental mm. is, is a, a symbol or an action that points towards, or an object that points towards the sacraments, right? So uh, a blessed medal... Uh, A sacred action like the washing of the feet something like that we call them sacramentals because they point towards a sacrament they point Mm -hmm. towards the Eucharist or towards baptism or something and so Catholics are encouraged to use sacramentals Mm -hmm. because they're those kind of like those tuning forks for us to make sure that we're on the right pitch headed in the right direction yeah yeah which Jeff uh, you gonna wash Diane's feet when you get home
2: every night what are you talking oh about? i'm sorry
0: i didn't realize he, this is just a regular thing for you all yeah because jeff is filled with agape let me tell you Aww, mm-hmm.
2: that's true well, I, yeah. the woman works hard i'll just put it that way so that's true
0: and you're still together how many years has it been jeff
2: well let's see it was uh, uh no, yeah, okay i didn't mean <laughs> to put you on the spot it's been a while coming up on 46 yeah Aww. 46
0: yeah. that's fantastic yeah, Jeff. That Jeff. That Jeff. He's going to be employee of the month next month. Oh, that oh. Diane. Yeah. I tell you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Diane's great too. Yeah. If you haven't met Jeff Blackwell's uh, wife, we'll have to get her up on the satellite. I uh, hope one day. Yeah. Up on the Jeff Star. Oh, one, she so would you can love it. Yeah. Yeah. We should. We should. All right. Uh, so, think of it. Let us know if you do this at your wedding. Um, if it happens to any of the people that you know are on the Catholic Underground, I'm sure we'll hear about it. But what you should know now is that we we are the Catholic Underground. <laughs> on my phone here and uh, you found the Catholic Underground. You're listening to it, you're watching it. We're online at catholicunderground.tv. The reason I'm playing on my phone is because I'm live in the chat. So if Ooh. you watch us on uh, Sunday evenings on Facebook or wherever wherever find video streamed, uh, you can you can get to us in the Facebook chat and so we interact with you as we're able. Yeah. Uh, sometimes I'm chatting, you know, talking, so I can't be in the chat room, but still. Anyway, Kathleen's here. Yep. Olivia's here. <laughs> Jeff's here, Ed's here, and our picks of the week are coming up. But first, St. Albert the Great. Yes. Doesn't get a whole lot of press these days.
1: No, poor guy.
0: But let me tell you, like he he was quite quite a um, a magnanimous personality. Yes. We usually reserve that for Thomas Aquinas. Right. But he brought together a lot of things that we think are uh, enemies today.
1: Yes. And if fact. you're wondering why St. Albert the Great and St. Thomas Aquinas are mentioned in the same sentence, it's because St. <laughs> Thomas Aquinas was a student of St. Albert the Great. Oh, yes. Hmm. The student so has become all the these, teacher. Yes, <laughs> um, And so all these things that we know about St. Thomas Aquinas, and not to say that St. Albert the Great was the reason, hmm. but this guy taught, um, St. Thomas yeah. Aquinas. is mm-hmm. So like, think about your favorite yeah. teacher and yeah. whenever,
0: whenever you begin to teach yourself and you go, oh, I right. just said that thing. Was that, that was, that was oh. Miss So-and-so. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Now we know that St. Thomas Aquinas is arguably one of the greatest wow. theologians who ever lived. Mm-hmm. If you've never read any parts of the Summa or anything that he's written or taken to mystic philosophy, which are I, are I did, <laughs> um, you should, I mean, it's phenomenal stuff. Um, but in our efforts to honor the student Aquinas, right? Mm-hmm. Um, let us not forget his teacher, Saint Albert. That's right. So renowned was Saint Albert as one of the great, respected scholars of his age that during his lifetime itself, he was already being honored with the title "Great." That's usually so this something
0: wasn't, reserved right? for after yeah. you die. So
1: finally, like you know, yeah, after they after you die, they they give you some kind of t- title, like mm-hmm. right? John Paul the Great. Mm-hmm. John Paul the Great. Um, mm-hmm.
0: uh, um, uh, Father Chris the the lazy. <laughs>
1: Right? When they look at your whole life, right, and they kind of sum it up with
0: Father Chris perpetually
1: fatigued. That's there what I go. wish, like you know you know when they have like You're Lords and Ladies and oh, right. Knights. Okay. Lords and Ladies and Knights, like you know, like what would yours be? That would be a very interesting thing to think about. Mm. But it usually comes after your death. This guy, while they were while he was living, people were calling him back.
0: Kathleen you, of the pet care.
1: Mm. <laughs>
3: Okay. You could literally yeah. see his mind working while you were talking. Uh-huh. Like, I'm going to say it. I'm going yep. to say no, no, it. Dude, <laughs> it. Sorry.
0: I'm, I'm, now, I'm, I'm taking us off
2: the court. I can turn his <laughs> mic off if you <laughs> please, please do. St. Albert the Great.
1: St. Albert the Great uh, made numerous contributions to the fields of science and philosophy. Um, he's credited with helping formulate a systematic study of minerals. Hello, all those ladies out there who are using mineral oils on your faces and stuff. Mm. Thank you, Saint Albert the Great. <laughs> You're welcome. And at a time when most of what was known about the natural sciences came from ancient classical texts,
3: mm-hmm. Saint I Albert not helpful. Yes.
1: Mm. Mm-hmm, yeah. And everybody was like, what, "What? Who's saying all this?" Saint Albert studied plants and animals and supplemented what was known about them with his own research. Mm. So he was in real time, kind of updating all of this classical text on you know on the natural sciences. My goodness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in fact, on account of the vastness of his expertise and knowledge in the fields of philosophy, theology, physics, chemistry, oh. astronomy, mineralogy, botany, zoology, and so on, uh, Pope Pius XII named him the patron saint of scientists. I mm. would hope so. <laughs> yeah,
0: he had his thumb in a lot of pies, as it yeah.
1: were. Yeah, but yeah. And he's like, "Look at all these things that you know I'm I'm involved in." And Pope Pius XII says, "You're patron saint of." Bakers. And he's like, what the heck?
0: (laughs) But you know, it really is quite something because, see, we see in St. Albert kind of the beauty of of how the Lord is trying to lift up the gifts and talents that we have. Exactly. Because, I mean, the the reason he's the patron saint of scientists is because he looked at the world around him and went, I have to understand this. Right. Mm and yeah. I want to because I'm a Christian I want to see how what God has made interfaces with what I can know about this mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that's that's how it's supposed to yeah. work
3: Yeah, well, it, I'm for the, oh, sorry okay. I was just gonna add like and historically like that's what philosophy was right that's why you have philosophers who are like him like were also scientists mm-hmm. but then you have people like um, coming more into the enlightenment period who um, like Leibniz was a philosopher but he's the one who perpetuated calculus right they like they are involved a lot of different even Descartes like he was a philosopher but he also like contributed did a lot to like sure. mathematics and stuff so like this is not unusual but he took it to like a next level right. Right? right yeah and so by you know you would think some of these areas
1: it's very easy to get get bogged down in the world around st Albert mm-hmm. right but he was always studying the things of this world with an eye on things from above right Saint Albert was among the forerunners in concretely explaining the relationship between faith on one hand and philosophy reason and the sciences on the other hmm. which is is I'm still being, you know, just dis- not discovered, but kind of, you know, worked through today. <laughs> Vilified, actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. In many ways. Know, but, yeah. The,
0: but it's interesting that that he began this work in in all these different disciplines, but really was Thomas Aquinas who who took it to the next level, right? um, kind of learning at the feet of his teacher, uh, bringing in Greek philosophy and saying, ah, so this is what, Mm -hmm. uh, Albert must've been talking about, you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's very interesting to see, you know, how I had a professor in college, uh, Dr. Dr. Chris Baglow, who wrote a textbook on faith and, uh, faith and reason and science Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, how the two have to go hand in hand and he would share with us stuff and the stuff that he's writing about. And I was like, golly, like, it's so easy to split the two. You know, of the natural world, of you know, of chemistry and math and all this kind of stuff, and you know, the, the spiritual world, mm-hmm. um, but really to see how those two go together. And there's a, a Catholic uh, author, Kevin Vost, wrote um, in a biography that he's writing about he's Saint, great. Saint Albert. He said, "For Albert, there was never conflict between science and religion, faith and reason, the material and the spiritual realms. For him, the whole world was theology because the heavens proclaimed the glory of God." Right, so for Saint Albert, this was you know the natural world was just evidence of God, right, of the glory of God, of God's creation, um, and he you know, made the, the connection between the two. Now, um, his while his main approach to science was empirical, meaning that he tested um, his scientific theories by observing things in the world around him. Mm-hmm. It's all about observation. Mm-hmm. Um, now, keep in mind that the 13th century scientific studies lacked um, the kind of laboratories that we see today that they're using uh, and the equipment that we have um, that can, you know, these proton split atoms yeah Mm -hmm. ridiculousness that we have going on now they didn't have all of that in the 13th century right um so he once wrote in studying nature we have uh have not to inquire how god the creator may as he freely wills use his creatures to work miracles and thereby show forth his power we have rather to inquire what nature with its imminent inherent causes can naturally bring to pass mm-hmm. right? and so i mean the the leaps and bounds that this guy was making without digital anything without yeah. a you know a a designated lab space somewhere right. you know probably in his basement at, in, in a candle lit you know mm-hmm. with magnifying glass i don't know, like
0: yeah. <laughs> You're, you're painting a what, good picture for yeah, us there, because that's yeah. the thing. And it's really interesting that he is able to, to practice what we would essentially call the scientific process here, the scientific method. Because he's saying, you know, um, we, we, we don't have to inquire how God can do what he wills, right. because God will do that. God mm-hmm. will create miracles as he needs. But we want to inquire about nature, what nature naturally brings to pass with, with itself. And so not to bracket God, because he's not, but saying, well, let's see what we can observe about this and then kind of make the ladder, make the climb to God.
3: Exactly. Well, that's something that Thomas Aquinas himself takes up too, because Aquinas has his like five proofs of God just using what you can observe in nature. Mm -hmm. And it's Mm -hmm. essential for like a coming to a deeper understanding of God is realizing that you can find, you can know things about God just by observing nature. You can't know everything. Which,
0: by the way, your students love that, that class. Oh, yeah. I don't know how their papers turned out, but.
3: That was fun for me.
1: Yeah, so like I was saying, even in our modern times, St. Albert's influence has continued to hold sway in the discussion of relationship between faith and reason. So, for instance, uh, both Pope St. John Paul II and Pope Benedict XVI, they both recognized this great St. Albert uh, as being among the first to recognize that philosophy and the sciences needed to be viewed distinctly from theology Mm -hmm. if they were to perform well in in their respective fields of research. So Pope Benedict XVI said, St. Albert the Great reminds us that there is friendship between science and faith and that through their vocation to the study of nature, scientists can take an authentic and fascinating path of holiness. Hmm. Now, in today's world, that's kind of like, you know, we see a huge difference. A huge, yeah. a huge disconnect a huge disconnect holy
0: scientist? yeah, yeah. and
1: mm-hmm. there there are a lot of people who you know who are faithful people who discover science mm-hmm. and discover you know maybe i don't you know one of the sciences and they lose all of their their or religion they just leave it faith, <laughs> they, right they leave the practice um, of their religion yeah because they can't connect the two
0: well because they f- Think that they found another religion a superior religion yeah you know
1: yeah now uh from a christian thought perspective is saint albert's commentary on the entire corpus or the entire body of aristotelian mm-hmm. i like that mm-hmm. word Uh, philosophy that is most noteworthy the very fact that he studied and explained um, Aristotelian philosophy was radical and revolutionary in the 13th century people were not talking about this I love somebody who's radical and revolutionary right most Christian thinkers during that time in history were suspicious of Aristotle's philosophy Mm -hmm. because of its pagan roots right however St. Albert explained that when something is truly rational it is compatible with Christian teachings as revealed in the scriptures, All right? So he's taking something, this this logic and this reason and this this rationale, and he's saying, for it to you know, if, if it's truly this way, mm-hmm. it's totally compatible with Christian thought and Christian teaching as revealed in the scriptures, right? Um, so Saint Albert's witness stands out most profoundly because he demonstrated that as much uh, as theological studies that delve into the deepest mysteries of our faith are distinct from the study of philosophy and the natural sciences the two go hand in hand forming a forming a part of man's thirst for truth happiness and ultimately god himself right this desire for us to know truth mm-hmm. right for us to know what is real that can be seen in the sciences yep. right through the through god mm-hmm. Right. Through God himself. And so in the words of Pope Benedict XVI, he says, how many scientists, in fact, in the wake of St. Albert the Great, have carried on their research inspired by wonder at and gratitude for a world which to their eyes as scholars and believers appeared and appears as the good work of a wise and loving creator. Scientific study then is then transformed into a hymn of praise. Yep. So as we are studying the way that God created us to be, yep. like God didn't create so, like all these things, you know, for us to discover. And then he'd be like, oopsies, they found me out, you yeah. know?
0: <laughs> no, right. And then he, <laughs> he vanishes in right. a puff of logic. Yeah. No, no.
1: No, he, he, as we discover these, these beauties of nature, yeah. um, the way that, that God created things to work. Yeah. It's a revelation of God Himself. That's right. right? They and, don't
0: point uh, back to themselves. They right, point beyond themselves. Right. And
1: how beautiful. Transformed into a hymn of praise.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. If, which is why we can actually talk about, in a sense, the sacramentality of nature. Right. Because it points beyond itself back to God. Absolutely. Oh, we could just keep on yep. St. Albert here, but we got to go. We'll be right back after a second. So stay with us, Catholic Underground. Welcome back to uh, we Found the Catholic Underground with me, Father Chris Decker, Kathleen Lee, Olivia Golino, Ed Ball, and Jeff Blackcollar are up in space.
2: Yes, I like that air farfisa you had going there, Father. Well, you know, I figured I was playing it right. Whenever it's on the air, you can do whatever you want, right? So, oh, anyway, yeah. yeah. Big finish here.
0: Yeah, there we are. Yeah, cool, yeah. Our picks of the week are coming up. But uh, we wanted to spend a little bit of time. So at the top of the show, we talked about the beauty of marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, Kathleen talked about how science and faith all come together. Yep. And so we figured we'd give a little bit of time to Pope St. John Paul II. 25 years on, this year was kind of the 25th anniversary, if you will, of his letter to families. Mm-hmm. And again, mm-hmm. trying to, to aim for this synthesis of all of these things. And so uh, we we thought we'd just kind of crack open that letter a little bit. Uh, the Catholic news agency started that, so we figured we'd uh, we'd kind of open up their their um, mind grapes.
3: Yeah, <laughs> crush those mind grapes. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah so. Uh, I feel like we, like in the recent couple of years, we've been celebrating a lot of like crucial anniversaries of different encyclicals and just things, you know what I mean? Like with um like like humana vitae. Mm Yeah. I think the letter to women celebrated a similar anniversary. Um, So now it's the, it's the letter to families. Um, And I think that's a really pertinent, Reminder or something that for us to come back to. Um like that's what anniversaries kind of force us to do is is to revisit things, right? You maybe reread these things or read them for the first time and you're like, Oh, okay, like that was really pertinent we then, you, but even more so now.
0: We do that with books too, right? Yeah. We have favorite books that we read every year or every few years yeah. to kind of reacquaint ourselves with that. Yeah. And it Persuasion. Should be. It is indeed. It should hmm. be no different mm-hmm. with uh with our with with churchy the encyclicals things. with churchy things yeah,
3: yeah. Mm-hmm. um and just in case you you're thinking to yourself like i uh- I mean, like this is nice. I'll listen to that, but I'm never going to read that. You should, right? Um, so these letters are—they're they're not as like, yeah, they're they're literally meant for you. Just like encyclicals are meant. I mean, they're meant for mainly bishops, um, but they're they're accessible reading. Um, maybe some other things in the church might seem more intimidating and very well are, but things like letters and encyclicals are meant for you. So like when when we say that like the Pope has written a letter to families, we don't just mean that the Pope wrote each bishop or each cardinal a letter about families. No. He's writing to families. Mm-hmm. Like the letter to women, he writes to women and he and speaks to And not just Italian-speaking ones. Yeah. He's
0: writing to all families.
3: To all families, right? Um, and so uh, Pope John Paul II, as you, are, sh- I'm sure, are well and familiar, um, was born Karol Wojtyla, um, And he was from this small town in, in Poland. But his family life is actually really interesting because he lost... Everyone in his immediate family before the age of, I think it was 20, mm-hmm. right? Um, so his mom died when he was very young. Um, he had a, a sister, I think it was a sister or a brother who was miscarried like before he was born. Um, and then I think his brother died when he was a young boy. And then, mm-hmm. so it was him and his dad for a very long time. And then um, in his, his dad eventually died when he was kind of a young man. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... But, like, their family life, even just in, in that short span of time, um, and some, for a lot of the time it was just him and his dad, but that their family life, father and son, was like enough of a, a threshing field for him to to cultivate the vocation of a priest mm-hmm. um, And so he does become a priest he eventually becomes the Pope right and as the Pope he's writing this letter to families um, In 1994 and that was um, one of the the United Nations declared that as the year of the family mm-hmm. And so it's kind of the context in which John Paul II is writing But this also fits with all of his other corpus of writings. Yeah, right Um because at this point, he's already finished his Theology of the Body. Um, he's starting to write, I think it was in 94 too, right? Um, the Moliere's Dignitatum. Oh. I believe that
0: was the same year. The, there is a continuity to all yeah. of his writings. And of course, as a phenomenologist, right? he's always writing about the human person.
3: Right. That's his focus is the human person. Mm-hmm. And not just the human person like per se, but the human person connected to the person of Christ. Yep. Right. Because I think wasn't his first encyclical, Redemptor uh, Hominis, mm-hmm. the Yeah, the redemption of man. Uh, the redeemer of man, um, which is Christ, right? Christ is our redeemer, but he redeems you, right? He doesn't just come to redeem humanity, and he does, but he comes to redeem you as an mm-hmm. individual person, as an instantiation of the person that you were created to be.
0: That's right. And by the way, if you want uh, the blueprint for his pontificate, that's the way to start. Yeah. Always read the first Always encyclical read the first of one. the Pope. Yeah. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, um, which is why when I talked about Degas Caritas Est* earlier, it was uh, Pope Benedict's first encyclical. Like it really, it, it gives light to all of his uh, pontificate. So mm-hmm. go read that as well. Um, you have so much reading to do from me. <laughs> um, but we got to think about the context, right? So in the time that he's writing, the U.S. divorce rates were about were, were actually higher than they are now, mm-hmm. um, or you know, compared to the most uh, recent available data. So at that time, it was about 4.6 per 1,000 people compared now to 2.9 in 2017. Hmm. But you gotta keep in mind too that marriage rates were also higher then, right? About 9.1 compared with 6.9 for those same years. Um, we also have different issues now that we didn't have back then, right? So legalized same-sex marriage was still considered kind of a taboo thing. Maybe you know, no one ever thought that it would really happen, but now obviously we have that um, to contend with. Which um, by the
0: way, marriage not possible. Yes. Between. Those of same-sex attraction. Exactly.
3: Um, So we have a a lot of different um, realities to contend with in in 2019, almost 2020. Um, But... This letter is still completely pertinent to the here and now. This message to families. Uh, you might be thinking to yourself too, like, well, what does a celibate priest uh, and eventually pope have to say about me and my family life? Um, and this is something where, like, if you look at his pontificate, this is like what he devoted himself to was understanding marriage and understanding the family. Mm-hmm. Uh, love and responsibility is about, like, uh, is about you know recapturing eros, like we've been talking about, but um, but how to fit that into what what marriage is as a sacrament and this And he he, um, capitalizes on that in Theology of the Body and expands on it to like a mind-blowing degree. Mm -hmm. Um, But everything in his pontificate is about rescuing marriage and the family. Um, and so this kind of is, is almost like a crown on top of, um, the work that he's done up until this point. Um, but he also just in his life, you know, he, um, he was a chaplain while he was a university, uh, at, while he was a professor at a university and he, um, he spent time with his students and then he kind of like, Uh, followed, not followed them, that sounds weird, but like through their life as they, you know, got married and had children, he, um, he stayed close with them. them, Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he, um, you know, took him on on camping trips and yeah, just different, Mm he had different things to, to kind of stay involved in their life, but also to learn from them. Um, like when he wrote love and responsibility, it, um, it said that he like, kind of pitched it to this group of students and they helped him say like, no, this is, this is not accurate. Yes, this is. And here's another way of saying it. Right. He really like, um, was, was humble and open to that, that one, you know, kind of experiential poverty that he had. Um, but it doesn't mean that he has a poverty of understanding. Mm. Um, and so he was really able to support these young families to help them live their faith at a time when the communist society was trying to undermine the family, right? So even mm-hmm. um, in, in a, maybe a way that we're familiar with, right, um, society was not supporting the family at all, but he was doing what he could to not only learn from them, but to provide a, a basis of support um, for them. And so um, while the the communist party, like we said, did rule Poland, um It it meant that families' work and school schedules were arranged in such a way as they spent as little time together as possible, right? That's what we mean by not supporting the family. Um, And so it was the state and not the family, um, according to the government, um, because the the state was like the most – the ultimate good, the end of society, right? It wasn't the family, right? The family served the state, not the state serving the family. Mm -hmm. But the reality is that government – Right in, in its uh, original forms and its original intentions is meant to serve the people, right? right? But what it becomes and what the the temptation is uh, most lived out in um, in real ways in like the the communist party, uh, and the communist um, regimes is that the the family, the individual, the the work of the family and the individual, and just their their existence, it starts to be geared towards the state, and so it becomes this master slave scenario, mm-hmm. um, and so. Um, and so really what, what John Paul II was doing as Carol Voitia, right, he was really just in this battle for family life. And that's really what he devoted himself to um, in his pontificate. Um, and and not so not just communism, but communism specifically as a war against the family. Yeah. Um, because, I mean, if you if you listen to the, the messages coming out of Fatima, right, that's that's mm-hmm. the last battle, right, is against marriage and the family. Mm-hmm. And John Paul II knew that. Um
0: yeah whenever whenever humanity whenever man and woman become devalued yeah. and that certainly can happen in a, a an atheistic regime then it becomes very easy for us to devalue everything else yeah. in society yeah. because if 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 Christ is the center around which all things rotate if you will mm-hmm. right Christ and his cross and if it is Christ as we Uh, Say in in Gaudium et Spes, uh, I believe number 23, if it is Christ who reveals man to himself, if it is Christ who is the center uh, of of everything, whenever we devalue man, Mm -hmm. uh, we even empty the cross of its meaning. We empty Christ of his meaning. Mm -hmm. And so then we can just kind of put ourselves in there and obliterate everything else. Mm And, and so you can see uh, Pope John Paul II had a good reason mm-hmm. for taking on, if you will, this, uh, this burden of, of kind of rehabilitating the family mm-hmm. because that was, dare I say, one of the fallouts of the First World War certainly was the fallout of, of the Second as well.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so in this letter to families, we see how John Paul is, is recognizing all of this. And like father Chris was saying, like the context is very important. Um, so he's, I, he's identifying not the individual, not, you know, me kind of bolstering my own self, my own, my own ego, my own will, um, as the thing that's going to make it for me make mm-hmm. it happen for me make my life what it, what I think that it should be. But he says that the family is the pathway to holiness. Yep. Um, And this is something that at this point in history is really being lost or it's at least being chiseled away at. Um, And so in this letter, he says that the family is placed at the heart of the great struggle between good and evil, between life and death, between love and all that's opposed to love. Right. And that's really I mean, he does this in Theology of the Body when he goes back to the garden um, in his first kind of act one of... um, of uh, his catechesis on the, the theology of the body, right, he goes back to the garden and he looks at that first interaction of sin between Adam and Eve and what really happens is their their family life is deteriorating, right, and that lets in the possibility of sin, right, because um, Eve takes her eye off of Adam and yeah. starts looking at something um, that, she, you know, she starts looking at something that seems appealing, right, mm-hmm. and Adam doesn't say anything, yeah. right, so their mm-hmm. roles, his role is to be a protector, to be, uh, you know, uh, the, the authority, right. But that, to be the protector, the one who guards the garden and the garden is not just a physical place. It's Eve, yep. right? Mm-hmm. Eve is the garden. Um, and he fails to protect the garden. That's his job. Yep. He's the garden. He had one job. He had one job, right? <laughs> but her, like her role is to be the help for salvation, right? To be the one who, um, who not only leads him to salvation, but who makes it possible, right? Um, who continues to draw him closer at, in love yep. to God the Father, and what she does is she draws him closer to the self, mm-hmm. and that's not that's not what you know the garden was originally set up to do, to be um, for them. Uh, anyway, so so John Paul II is really highlighting that in this letter, and he says that the the key to uh, to building up a civilization of love um, is the family. Yeah. Right. And that civilization of love should be a place where families are able to give and receive love, both at individual, but also at societal levels. Mm. And that's really, I think, the key part. Like we're I think we're starting to see this like Genesis, this Renaissance in, in being able to to give and receive love on an individual level because you have these different kind of movements happening that support families, especially in the church. But also you kind of see it happening on a bit of a secular level. Like people realizing that, um, I read an article the other day about how like population rates, um, are start, are dipping below whatever the, what is it called? Like the birth rate, the birth rate, or the the birth rate uh, the, sorry, the, is, dr- is dipping below like the, basically an, it's not the replacing The sustainable itself.
0: family or the sustainable, uh, hum- human sustainability yeah. threshold or whatever.
3: Yeah. Like basically like, the population is not replacing itself right it's dipping below what's um what is possible for for society in whatever place this is to be able to continue and so people are recognizing that as a crisis now and so even on a governmental level you start having these these ways of supporting family life um but it's that societal piece that sometimes is missing sometimes is missing Mm -hmm. right especially in just the way that we live right um i remember talking to a friend of mine who taught in um, South Korea for a while and it, she would be like in a coffee shop at like nine o'clock at night when we would be Skyping and she would say like, oh, she would just comment on whatever's happening. And she, she would say one time, uh, I remember one time she said that there were like school children going home mm-hmm. and it was like nine o'clock at night where she was. And I was like, why are they going home at nine o'clock at night? And she's like, they've been at school since six.
0: Wow. Wow.
3: And I'm like, what you know which says something about like the the drive for education but it also says something about like when do these kids see their parents right when do they spend time with their families and the reality is they don't right they just Mm -hmm. don't and and i you know the the kind of reality too is that you know teachers spend a lot of time with their with the, with their students. Right. And sometimes that's more than the time mm-hmm. that the kids spend with their fam- with their families, right. with their parents. Yeah. yeah. Right. And so it's it's on that societal level that we have to look at, OK, how are we actually supporting the family or do we do what we can to kind of or, or, or do we do what we can to combat that like fissure of the of the family? Mm-hmm. Right. Do we support do we support fusion rather than fission?
0: And that's where uh, the, this document, this letter to families is kind of a a cry from the heart Mm -hmm. to to suggest an antidote.
3: Yeah, exactly. Um, And so uh, we have to realize that, um, that the vast, and this is John Paul II's point, is that the vast majority of people become holy as husband, and father and his wife and mother, and not in spite of that. So what do we do in the church? What do we do as a as a society to support that, right? To support mm-hmm. that mission of the family, of, a, of the husband and wife sanctifying each other and thus sanctifying their family. Right, because
0: it is a mission, properly understood, right? Exactly, a mission yeah. that is being sent out from somewhere to do something.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it's really kind of, it's prophetic um, in a way what John Paul is saying. I mean, because 25 years maybe doesn't seem like a long time, but that's a a generation and a half. Um, And it's prophetic because it really touches on all these ways that the family is under attack today. Um, And he says, this might be his most famous line from this letter, he says that the history of mankind, the history of salvation passes by way of the family, Mm -hmm. right? Look at the situation that Jesus is born into. Jesus could have come as an adult man, right? He's God. He didn't need to come as a baby. He chooses to come as a baby, right? And he chooses to be born in a family situation, right? And it's the love of the family that he spends the majority of his life, right? If you look at just statistically speaking, how much of Jesus's life he spends just living a family life, Mm It's, it's the majority, right? And it's a vast majority of his life, which shows that there is something in the family that is necessary. It's not contingent, it's not something accidental, and it's not something that we can, it's just optional, right? Of this list of things in our lives we can do away with in, in favor of something else. No, the family is essential, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so um, it, this this letter is prophetic, you could say, because what we're seeing is that when it comes to the way that we view the family, just practically speaking we we don't really have hope for the future right because we don't invest in as a society um in our families right and and what do we do we have to think about what do we do as the church to support families and really support them not just kind of like give them a nod every now and then Mm -hmm. right um do we create environments that provide for the future not just for the present moment yeah um and I, so I think that John Paul II was already recognizing that the foundation of society itself is already in jeopardy if people are not getting married, if they're not having kids, right? They're saying no to the future in some sense. Mm-hmm. So how do we, as a society, as a church, help people to say yes, right? Um, and so...
0: Which we're seeing, by the way, uh, yeah. n- not that people aren't having children, yeah. but what we're seeing is that outside of the sacrament of marriage, uh, children can be viewed oftentimes as objects. Yeah. You know, they're, uh, they're cute when they're babies, mm-hmm. but, but, but then all of a sudden life kicks in and when you don't have the, the strength of the sacrament, what begins to happen is is there's a fracture point, mm-hmm. and the fracture point is always what happens where the kids are caught in the middle in the, in the fissure, yeah. and they are the ones who fall through mm-hmm. uh, the canyon that is created because of the lack of, of sacramental grace. Mm-hmm. And, and and it devalues the entire... I mean, I see it. Gosh, I see it as a priest. Mm-hmm. And it devalues the entire family because nobody mm-hmm. sees each other as a person.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And this is where the lawsuits come in, and this is where the, the tug of war with the kids begins. And, 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 and that's where... Pope John Paul II is saying, how can we say yes to family life Yeah, and yes to everything, the graces that can flow from this?
3: Yeah. And I think it comes first with just recognizing that like everything is for the sake of the family, Mm -hmm. right? Instead of the family for the sake of everything else, right? Like, are we all like going our own thousand separate ways and then coming back and kind of like (gasps) Mm -hmm. taking a breath and then going out all our own separate ways? Or do we do whatever we do in our in our individual time for the sake of what happens in the home, right? right? And so it it takes a change of mind, a change of culture. And I think it starts with the family culture, right? Like what does Mother Teresa said? She says, if you want to change the world, go home and love your family, right? And so does it, do we start in the home with just intentionally building a culture of the civilization of love, right? Does everything that we do in our life come back to what we do in the home? And even if, even if you're living like a single life, right, do, do what does everything that you do, uh, is it aimed for the betterment of your own holiness, of, of the holiness of the people that you love, right? Are you starting even now to create a culture of love that, that you know, God willing one day will involve a family of your own, right? What yeah. do you do in order to um, to cultivate that civilization here and now? Because it's, it's moment to moment. It's not like I'm 10 years from now, we'll have the civilization. No, it's right now. Are you t- Are you making a choice for that civilization? And so it comes down to, you know, living a life of personal holiness as a husband, as a father, as a mother, as a wife, as a as a child, right? Um, and is it do we do we focus our life on prayer, right? Do we realize that that everything um that, that if we are if we are breathing, if we have existence coursing through our veins, that you know, we are children, yep. right? And we are children of God. So do we first go to that primordial family mm-hmm. and then allow that to inform what we do in our in our human families, right? And realize that it's for the sake of that that primordial family, that that marriage to God, that that beatitude that we're all working towards. That we even have human families, right? Yeah. Because God wills it that way, number one. Yeah. But also because we have to realize that like our human family is not just like a um, like a way to waste time until we get to heaven, right? right? Or something to keep us occupied, yeah. it's right? It's Not the thing that's
0: not the TV. Yeah. Right. Like
3: mm-hmm. um, I think it's Joseph Pieper who says that um, you know God's love needs perfection, right? And he and it, it needs perfection because he chooses it that way, right? Because God is, is all perfect. But he says that God has um, has so willed love in such a way that it needs perfection in human love. Mm-hmm. Right. So in the love of a of a husband for for his wife and for a wife for her husband and the love of their family. That perfects God's love here and now.
0: Which by the way is an outpouring of Ephesians five. Yeah. Right. Uh, bing, it's bing, also bing. it's also kind of a, a Philippians two th- mm-hmm. thing too, where Christ learns obedience through what he suffers. He learns to love um, in in his humanity, and it it is perfected yeah. by by submitting himself to to something greater than himself. Yeah. You know, and and that is kind of at the core of of how Pope Saint John Paul II shows us the family must recover that.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's a, it's an urgent situation too. We can't. I don't. I think that we're at the point where we can't really ignore like how urgent of a situation it is to rescue the family, um, but realizing that the the antidote starts in just simplicity, right? There's not going to be a program that's going to save it. There's not mm-hmm. going to be. Um, one, you know, one person that's going to come and save it other than Jesus. Um, it's just, it's going to be moment to moment and it's going to be a cultural change that's going to, going to shift things. Right. But it starts in just here and now today, our family Yep, Mm -hmm. and
0: supporting that
3: and supporting that.
0: Well, we could uh, read the document to you even further, I mean, because there's a lot there for sure. But uh, yeah, read the letter to families. It's a good thing to uh, to kind of reconnoiter, especially as you might be getting started with your family or maybe you've been married for a long time. Read this love letter from, from a now sainted pope to you and to your family. One of the things that we should do, because we ain't saints yet, is pause for that part of the show that we like to call... The CU Pick of the Week. That's right. It is our time for CU Pick of the Week. Kathleen, do you have a Pick of the Week? I do have a
1: Pick of the Week. (laughs) Hello, I'm back with a vengeance, people. Boy, Um, is she! I'm just looking
0: on the show notes here. I know.
1: (laughs) So I didn't become a uh, a social drinker. I really didn't become a drinker. Now this is for our over twenty-one age, uh, you know, crew. For all of
0: you fifteen-year-olds listening to the podcast, sorry. Ask your parents. <laughs> ask your parents. Yeah.
1: I didn't become a social drinker um, really until like the last couple years. You've
0: had an opportunity to drink socially. Yes, I've
1: had social friends, <laughs> okay, and there right. have been drinks, and and so, and I'm, so I'm trying to right. figure out what is what you drink, what, what you I drink, drink yeah. what yeah. I drink, and so you know, a lot of things I've stayed away from because they may be too girly or too hardcore <laughs> and uh, but this i found um strong bow rose apple hard cider that's a lot it of words it is such a girl drink but it is with that. fantastic <laughs> okay i like you know yeah i i try to you know have mature taste so i'm so i'm also trying like rom and whiskey like good mm-hmm. stuff yeah sure. this one mm-mm. i could have this i could come home from work It's like having a glass of wine, I think, Mm -hmm. to some people. I'm like, I'm just chuckling. Let me just pop a little top, have a little rosé, hard cider, go to bed. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Like it is. It's like it's it's so good. Mm. It's just we don't
0: advocate, you know, uh, making that your every evening. No, no, no,
1: no. But I mean, you know. That I, sounds delicious There it is You, should, If you're of age You should try it rose, Because it is
0: So is it like A, a wine blended With an yeah, apple Yeah Yeah it's kind okay. of like
1: So it's got like The lightness And the sweetness Of a rosé Okay And of course Like the The you know, appleness the Of an apple, apple. The apple, The Yeah and tartness Of a hard cider Yeah I like that It's I'm, really good I'm a fan of that it sounds Because I'm really not refreshing. a big rosé fan Uh huh Like I don't want to Drink it by, by itself Because mm. it's just too It's too sweet Too sweet yeah.
0: But you mix um, it With a hard cider Mix
1: it with a hard cider And there you go
0: I suppose I'll have to mull that on my own oh my (laughs) olivia olivia
3: yeah, cut the camera away from him (laughs) Kevin, cut his (laughs) mic okay so my speaking of sweet things that hopefully aren't too sweet um my pick of the week is something called smart sweets um and i had never heard of this until a couple days ago i was like buying mints in the grocery store and i like my eye went on this top shelf and there's these like they look like hipster candy Mm. um but i was reading about it and it's um it's it's like plant based candy, um and so they use like stevia um, okay. and all natural ingredients. There's nothing artificial, but they have things like um they're like their version of Swedish fish and like peach rings, um like sour patch kids and things like that. Um, but it's it's a way they they say is like. Uh, there's tagline is like to kick sugar, oh, right. Okay. Um, because they're, it's, it's to way less it sugar line. than like normal. Yeah. So you can still eat, you know, candy without having like so much sugar. Cause I find that like every once in a while I have like a sugar urge, like yeah. I just need candy, but I can't really eat it. Um, and so I found this and I was like, oh, well this is a way to like eat candy without like making my blood sugar spike. Mm-hmm. And um, going way yeah, overboard cause and... it actually has a ton of fiber in it too because oh. of some of the things that they use. So it helps like to sustain your, like your blood. Sh- <laughs> it doesn't like make yeah. your blood sugar uh, spike.
0: Eileen's like, I want this fibrous candy.
3: <laughs> yes, please. Okay, that's not the best way to describe it. Just go try it. Just go oh try it. Oh, my
2: goodness. Uh, We're see. having a great time. Yeah.
3: No hey, hey Jeff.
2: <laughs> no Yo. Well, mine is low calorie. Uh, it's uh, the Smithsonian channel. I um, oh, yeah. Father Chris and I had been talking. I'm wanting to cut the cable for for a while because it's just kept uh, getting expe- mm-hmm. expensive. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so um, I found YouTube TV yeah. had most yeah. of the channels that we watched without having to pay extra premiums. And we didn't have any of the movie channels, uh, mm-hmm. my wife and I, but... Uh, uh, like I like the classic movies, They I had to pay extra for that, or even an ESPN. You know, it was extra. Anyway, it's all included on YouTube, and, and I found that they had the Smithsonian Channel. Mm-hmm. A beautiful mm-hmm. photography, great uh, documentaries, and um, I'm enjoying it.
0: And also your local channels as well. A lot of people Absolutely. don't really know what to do when yeah. they want to right, to right. cut the, the the cable and and use a streaming option. Uh, so I'm I'm pretty happy with with YouTube TV as yeah. well. Yeah. Already uh my pick of the week, I I kind of stumbled across it. I forget what type of food I was looking for, but TasteAtlas.com. Mm. TasteAtlas.com what you can do is you go to TasteAtlas and you put in a locale and it will tell you what the top foods of that area are, mm. what they are, mm. and where you can find them, the best place to get them. So, like, if you're mm. in, looking in Louisiana, you'll, uh, you'll see what the kind of the things that we eat, like boiled crawfish and beignets and bread pudding and things like um, that. Maybe pudding. some things that you don't even Muff-a-lata. know about that are part mm. of our, uh, our, our atlas of eating. Yeah. But, but maybe you want to know what to eat in Poland. Mm. Mm. So okay. you, can, you can type okay. in Parigi. Poland. And, uh, and it will actually take you through all of the different types of food in Poland. So, wow. so tasteatlas.com is my pick of the week, and we'll I put like a link that. to that in the yeah, show notes. Cool. Yeah, all right. Uh, well, well, Jeff, um, gosh, we, we've tasted the end of another episode. We're always grateful to those who uh, support our show uh, by their prayer, by their finances, all of that stuff. We're very grateful,
2: huh? Absolutely. And this week, the Catholic Underground is possible because of people like you. Join the growing number of undergrounders at catholicunderground.com slash donate. And an important way to support us is to like us, heart us, star us, and share us on your social media platform of choice.
0: Yeah, I've noticed a couple of you folks have uh, have done that. You've gone into, uh, into Apple Music, you've gone into Apple Podcasts yeah. now, and to Spotify, mm-hmm. and you've You've kind of just scribbled down a little a little uh, thank you. So thank you for those of yes. you who have done that. And thank you for those of you who are going to do that. Already our panelists have been Kathleen Lee. She's the Faith Ninja, Hope Samurai, Hi-ya, Kathleen at lee 626 on Instagram.
1: Thank you. Anytime.
0: Yes, anytime. I like that. We'll hold you to it. Olivia Galino is at the real OMG with dots where they're supposed to be. Thanks, <sighs> it's to Olivia.
3: Yeah, it's thank you. <laughs> Just check the show notes. Yeah.
0: And uh, our technical director is Jeff Blackwell. He's at Jeff JeffBlackwellus on Instagram and Twitter. Thanks, Jeff. Always a privilege, Father. Our research assistant, the leader of the crew in the lab is Jim Hayes, who, uh, well, this is the last chance. He, he's, he's the employee of the month. Yep. Outgoing. Good for him. Yeah. Uh, well, our video and graphics director is Ed Ball, and you know me. I'm Father Chris. You can follow me on Instagram, at Digital Catholic, and Twitter, too, if you really want to. Uh, yeah. You can. Uh, <laughs> sorry. I... I I was thinking about my Twitter feed. There's not a whole lot on it. But yeah, whatever. We hope that we've helped you cut through the noise and find the still small voice. We're the Catholic Underground. We're Faith Gun Digital. We'll see you next time.